give up your nights. Welcome to the Living with Heart podcast with Dr. Chip Dodd. Dr. Chip Dodd, how are you? Hey, hello, Brian. Good to see you again. I always laugh starting that way because I've yeah. never called you Dr. Oh, Chip I know. I, it, yeah, you I know. say I, that. I, like... I, people probably have not picked up that this is episode three, and uh, I'm saying, I mean, you are a very legitimate doctor, but I've yeah. never, I've never felt the pressure to call you. And, uh, doctor, uh, doctor, you know, doctor. it hasn't been that long since I've actually referenced myself as, as that on podcast or whatever. It's just Chip Dodd. And like, well, who's he? It's right. Like, well, I'm Dr. Chip Dodd. How about yeah. that? Does that help some? It's kind of thing. Well, yeah, you, you came over for my birthday a few weeks ago and I told my kids, one of the things I'm learning about Tennessee is that there's like a, a, a I think to its, uh, credit, mm. a higher degree of sort of like social expectation of children to behave. And so <laughs> I've started to recognize, like I go to somebody's house and I I've started to ask now, Hey, do you want your kids to call me Mr. Brian or Mr. Barley or whatever it is? That's, that's not really the culture that I spent the last dozen years in. Yeah. So anyways, before you came in, I was like telling my kids, I was like, you, you know, be sure to call him Mr. Chip. And I was like, wait, you're not Mr. Chip, you're Dr. Chip. You worked very hard. All right, so last episode, we did an introduction into the concept of neediness. Yes. What do you What do you wanna just revisit from that before we go deeper? Well, just let's start out again. I, w- I want everyone to hear that the APGAR, while it is a, a physiological medical test, is actually checking and validating that we are emotional and spiritual creatures created to do one thing in life. It's live fully. And we can't live fully unless we're doing so fully in relationship with ourselves, heart, head and heart, others, hearts and God. And so the APGAR is actually checking three things. Will the baby cry out? In other words, is the baby able to express feelings? And we know that that baby is experiencing the very things they're going to be able to articulate later. Fear. I'm not where I was. I'm made to be somewhere else. And where is it? Remember that neuroscience has been stating for about, I guess, a decade. What's always been true is that you come out of the womb looking for, without eyes, and without thought, who's looking for you. You come out of the womb looking for who's looking for you which means that there's something activating within the person that's more than just biochemistry. There's something else mysterious going on. And it's a feeling creature who has needs and craving. So will the baby cry out? Does the baby feel fear, sadness, the craving, the loss of connection to where I was and made to be where I'm made to go and I'm not there yet? Loneliness, I'm created for relationship. Hurt. Because the ache of life within the person that's, that's seeking homeostasis or stability. Anger, which is a desire, hunger for that which I hope, wish, yearn. And in other words, uh, a willingness to be in pain for something that matters more than pain. I'm looking for who's looking for me. So everything is activated. A seeking gladness, seeking wholeness is being activated. And it's expressed through a cry out, feelings. Will the baby reach out? Is the baby expressing the need to belong and matter, need for support, security, need for connection? And then will the baby crave? Will the baby settle in and, 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 and cuddle in to receiving from the caregiver that which a caregiver is made to, to give? I have, even though I'm doing my hands like 
flat against each other with my palms kind like of almost an, like an embrace or like an embrace yeah. and and when the baby uh, uh, receives the oxytocin blast from the mother called connection then what happens is the baby literally turns on it's a a, a, a plug has met the outlet mm. and the baby turns on pulmonary uh, which the breathing the lungs the heart rate the skin tone the the eyes the little sparkles in the brain in other words we are so creative for connection we come out of the womb seeking it everything that has life in it seeks it seeks to get one thing and it's life in it to the full the fullest expression of how i'm made mm. and it turns out that human beings are created to find fulfillment in relationship and through relationship we end up bearing fruit mm. in other words thriving with full expression Offering how we're made to a world in need of what we've got, yeah. which is the development of our gifts handed over to a world in need. Yeah, It's a lot there, but it's real. Right. And then when you grow up, the APGAR is made to turn into the ability to use your brain, your thinking, to express your heart. Yeah. In other words, use your mind not just to get stuff done technologically, but to also to have a what for that allows you to be fully engaged emotionally, spiritually, and with a seeking of fulfillment. Right. And we're trying to it's a lot. It is a lot. We'll flesh it out for however many weeks it takes. As long as it takes. As long as it takes. Because we're working against denial. Right. That's what I was going to say is we are trying to lay a foundation to say that much of the, you know, if you sort of, you know, like a lazy river, yeah. Just kind of take oh, yeah. Forever. Like if you just sort of passively lay in the cultural lazy river, you are going to drift towards a destination of the illusion of independence and self-sufficiency, right? You're going to go to this place of believing that maturity and health and the aim is I don't need anyone or anything and I can take care of myself which is a striking and tragic juxtaposition yeah. to the way that God designed us. Yeah. Which or is, we're just simply using each other as commodities. Mm. You know, like the, there is a need, but it's the need and it's just about objectification of each mm. other versus love. Right. You know? Right. So yeah, we are, I said this last episode, but we are declaring war on the illusion of independence and needlessness. Mm. And instead saying the way that God fearfully and wonderfully made us mm -hmm. is to be needy from life's first cry until final breath. We are always deeply needy yes. creatures. Yes. So the goal of this Which is a good thing. Right. It's not a deficit, though there's the, the deficit in our needs is real. The having neediness is not a weakness. Right. So we're where we're thinking about going here then is like taking all of this and trying to make it practical and accessible. Yeah. And we wanted to talk about okay, like so what are these needs mm -hmm. that uh, are within us and around us through, you know, not just from the delivery room, but into childhood mm -hmm. and into adulthood. Uh, so that's what we're going to spend however long it takes yeah. to, to get going into. through the needs of the heart. Yeah. Book, we'll go through, really. yeah, yeah. So I referenced this last episode, but uh, Chip wrote a book called the needs of the heart. I'm holding it right now. I actually read it last week for the first time and it's really great. It's a short read but actually how many pages is it just only uh, it's only like it 80 pages or something or the conclusion is on page 73 exactly so so um but actually i feel like you know 
I, in no way does its shortness communicate its unseriousness. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I almost admire you more for being able to write something uh, that's so complex and so rich that's short. And mm-hmm. I think even a lot of this book deserves further explanation where, mm-hmm. you know, I told you after I first read it, like you, we won't talk about this right now, but you have a whole chapter on a need for a place yeah. and it's like a page and a half you wrote. And mm-hmm. I have been thinking about that and use that uh, repeatedly over the past week of just, you know, not only in terms of place, in terms of relationship, but even I was started thinking about my own home, the environment we set up for our kids, you know, a place of stability. And, you know, it's, it's things that I have desired with my heart, but I think you've put some language to the desire and maybe a little bit more uh, intentionality in terms of the way that uh, Megan, my wife and I architect our home, um, not just philosophically, but literally like structurally, environmentally, like what are we practically doing to help our kids feel like the need for a place is met in where they lay their heads? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, I'm, he, he, as you said that I, I want to locate one thought. Yeah, go for it. Cause I had 40. <laughs> you know, I was blip, 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 blip. Um, if a child or a grown up, I mean, the, the idea of home is so powerful that uh, that it's it's one of the longings of life. I mean, Ecclesiastes three says that you're born with eternity in your heart, which means that we're made to attempt to find fullness where we're living. Yeah. And one of the expressions of the ultimate fullness is having a place called home. And not only is that one of the longings, but we have a longing for justice, which means that things are um, uh, uh, matched with equality. You know, that, that, that things are right and true and good, which means we're safe to be ourselves, justice. And then we also long for safety and we long for peace. And we can't find it here in its fullness, its completion, in its totality. So no matter how much we seek it, we still have that in us that wants more of it, and we can't get enough of it, right? Mm. That's longings. Yeah. So home, from its very inception, is a place we're in search of. And when we have its uh, re- reflections of it or experience of it, everything's right. Yeah, Everything's like it's made to be. And what's amazing, Brian, a person can be uh, traumatized down the street, what we call trauma. Let's say one of your children goes down the street, something terrible happens. Or your child goes to some place and um, uh, terrible weather, tornado occurs. Or um, you as a grown-up go somewhere. But when you get back home, and home is a place where you can process in safety in belonging, in mattering, in security, a thing called grief, a thing called celebration, a thing called being yourself, in which you won't be judged by struggling with questions without answers, pain without solution, uh, even celebration with a need to connect to others celebrating with you. That it's a home is a place where you have friendship, mm. that somebody doubles your joys and cuts your sorrows in half. Mm. So it's a place that you can go to be your full self, where you are, as you are, in the way you are. If a person has a place like that to go to, 
after life's experiences outside that place occurs. Life is tragic, and we sometimes really struggle with God being faithful. But we need a place to struggle. Mm. So home's that place. So, so a, a child can be harmed outside the home if a child has a place to go to, a place where they can pour out their hearts. Believe it or not, what happens is that they will have experienced pain and hurt, but they won't have trauma. Mm. Trauma that could have occurred won't occur because trauma is when the feelings get frozen and have no place to go except suppressed, repressed, hidden, gone, gotten rid of, dissociated from. If you have a place to associate, if you don't have to get rid of you, if you don't have to isolate from how you're made, then in other words, you get the healing before the trauma kicks in. Mm. So I want you to know that we that trauma is actually an experience of not having a place to go with the pain mm. of life. Mm. And so not only is this place called home beautiful, miraculous, and wonderful, mm. it's also a place you go to be able to get the courage back up to go back out into a tragic place and fight well, so to speak. So interesting. I'm in this flashback. Uh, so we have four kids. Our oldest uh, is adopted. We just chose to start our family with adoption. And by the way, great, wonderful child. She's incredible. Fabulous. She turns 10 on... I, on Saturday. Well, I mean, she, we we'll have her artwork this. here, her the lantern artwork. from she's, Narnia. She's just the absolute Plus, best. she's a seamstress. She does. She makes and her own dresses. And she's a baker. And she does baker. <laughs> I mean, it's just, she's amazing. Um, it was interesting. I remember, um, you know, after you do, our, our adoption was international. And I think whether you do a domestic or international adoption, um, you have a social worker who's with you mm -hmm. afterwards, which I know people have mixed experiences with, but actually our social workers were all universally great. And I remember um, when Hannah was probably three or four, which is when, you know, a child kind of starts asking questions. You know, they're not just kind of going along. I mean, I, that's at least been our experience with four kids is about three is when they kind of start asking questions and pushing back. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, adoption is always complex, you know, in terms of the story and everything and how much do you share and how much do you not share. And I remember asking our social worker, you know, because I had no category for this, like how much should we talk about and how much should we share? And she gave a longer answer than the one I'm going to give here, but she said something that always stuck with me. She said, um, she said, I know you're scared, but a child is actually exponentially more resilient than you realize. Yep. A child can really, if they have a loving parent to guide them through something, a child can really uh, not just survive, but thrive in the midst of some, uh, of almost anything. She said, there's one thing a child can't tolerate though, and that's being lied to. Yep. Yep. About they're into it. See, okay. One of the great wisdom statements is intuition plus suspicion plus questions equals discernment, mm -hmm. which is how we grow to parse out what's safe, what's not, what's good, what's not, so on. So intuition is God-given. Yeah. That sense of my experience inside me, is it coordinated with what's going on outside of me? Because a, a, a child uh, hears tones because they don't know what words mean. Right. So words have tones, and tones are what a child hears, and what they hear is what goes into their hearts. They listen for tones. And it's uh, facial expressions. Because the face is the expression of the heart. Mm -hmm. And so intuition, they're created for connection. So 
intuitionally, they have this God-given sense of what's going on around them. They're, they're like little barometers. They pick up on the weather. Mm. It's God-given mm. plus suspicion, which is God-granted. Mm. We live in a tragic place and we have intuition. Hey, something's going on. And suspicion, is it what it looks like or is it something other than what it looks like? And questions allow us to find out. Yeah. And then we can discern. So you, that, that's so short. What's so, it's, it's beautiful what this person said. They, they can't tolerate lying because it creates confusion and discoordination. Hmm. In other words, the face doesn't match with the heart. And if it's not congruent, then I'm confused. I yeah. don't know what to do with my feelings. I don't know where to take them. Right. So that child becomes defended. Right. So intuition plus suspicion plus defenses becomes stories I make up and I have to judge. In other words, I'm protecting myself from getting hurt. Well, and it made me Crazy. Th- it made wow. me think about I know we, our introductions are always going to be like this, but yeah. that's fine. I mean, what it made me think of is the temptation and the frequency to which parents lie to their kids in the name of it's the most loving thing to do. Yeah. And obviously there's appropriate phases in which you talk about certain things. Sure, developmental. Right. But it is interesting that um in the name of love the protection of our kids from the truth is only hurting them yes. more. It's, um, it, and wisdom is how to tell the truth and when to tell the truth. Right. But lying is not essential or necessary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're talking about neediness and you know, we, uh, you know, spent, spent the last episode talking about how, uh, is an inescapable reality of our design that we were created to be needy mm-hmm. from life's first cry to final breath. Now we're going to talk about some of the expressions of our neediness. We'll, like we said earlier, we're going to walk through some of this book I have in front of me, The Needs of the Heart. Let's let's start with talking about belonging and mattering. Yeah. You know, in your book, you talk about how that really is the foundation upon which any other expression yeah. of need is, is met. They're, they're so, so talk two, to us about two primary needs. Yeah, talk to us about belonging and matter. And you know, as we even step into the two these two primary needs, one of the things that uh, I realized uh, years ago, when you know, a lot of a lot of people know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and so on. And I remember. So what is that? Just, well, I was I was trained in in that in um, graduate school way way back, forever ago, and <clears throat> the basic needs of survival, and then we self actualized that we. We grow from our essential needs of food, water, shelter, and clothing, you know, just sort of the basics that every animal needs, every, you know, every creature needs. And then out of that, we develop this capacity to extend ourselves beyond survival. Well, the thing is, as I got into my own recovery, I began to honestly examine what I'd been taught and paying attention to uh, intuition, honestly, uh, my own heart. And it turns out that most of the needs are not about survival. Hmm. Food, water, shelter, and clothes. I remember a therapist asked me, she said, what do you need? And I remember looking at her and, and clicking off Maslow's thing in my mind. I'm like, okay, need. A need is food, water, shelter, and clothing. So I, I ticked it off by memory. I said, so I need food, water, shelter, and clothing. And I remember she looked at me like, that's it? I said, yeah, that's it. Mm. Everything else is a luxury. Mm. I was so <laughs> removed 
You said that? I said that. You said everything I else said is a that. luxury. I said everything else is a luxury. It's yeah. a want. And you don't have to have it. Everything else is cake. Mm. Everything else is good fortune. Yeah. And I was so off. I was so without myself. Mm. When I got into recovery of heart, I began to see that most of the needs are not biological. They're not physical. They're emotional and spiritual. Most of the needs. And, and neuroscience backs all this up now. So, so the, the, the two most powerful needs that we have are not food, water, shelter, and clothing, really, though that has some equality with it. But the, the most powerful need is the need to belong mm. and the need to matter. I mean, you come out of the womb seeking connection. We're made for connection. We're made to find fulfillment through relationships. So the need to belong and the need to matter are the two most powerful needs. Well, before you dive into belonging and mattering, you actually, it's funny. Can I tell you my favorite quote in mm -hmm. this book, which mm -hmm. you buried, uh, you know, like, I don't know you, well, I don't know if people know this about you. You have your master's in what's your master's. It's uh, in, in literature, in English, literature. Yeah. It's funny. My, I have a, my, which I thought was wasted, but wasn't. Yeah, know? for sure. And, um, it's funny. I mean, my, my, uh, college degree is, is uh, liberal arts, uh, as well, which I always thought was wasted. I don't, I don't think it is right. I guess, no. I guess it's still to be determined. Yeah, God's a great garbage man. He picks up our stuff and turns it. That's into right. Something. Yeah. But my favorite, uh, my favorite quote in this entire book, you bury in like a late chapter in the last paragraph. I'm just laughing because when uh -huh. they teach you to write, they're always like, Hey, lead with your best stuff yeah. first. Right. Yeah. And the thing I like about reading your stuff is like, it's like a treasure hunt. You know, you don't know uh, exactly where it'll be. So you write this, this is on page 51 of needs of the heart, but I feel like it captures what you just said. And it really landed with me and mm -hmm. I shared it with some other people and I feel like it really landed with them. You write this, you say, we must continue to rediscover and surrender to the reality that we are emotional and spiritual creatures, mm -hmm. not slugs, raccoons, rats, birds, or scorpions. <laughs> Do you get it? Those things, I feel like you'd be like, Do you get it? Uh, <laughs> those things get by on essential provisional existence. We're made for more than provisional existence. We're made to live fully. We're made for more than survival and instinct. We are created to be guided and to guide. Uh, we cannot give what we do not have. Therefore, we must be guided well. This was a chapter on guidance. Mm. But I think that language of, mm -hmm. um, I would use this when preaching too, is, hey, you're not um, an animal. You're an image bearer of God. Right. You are the most precious thing made by the God who made mm -hmm. everything. And consequently, your vision for life has to be more than just mere survival. It has to be flourishing. Like mm -hmm. animals survive. Like we're in the midst of a snowstorm right now. Like, you know, the squirrels are trying to survive, but you're not a squirrel. You're an image bearer of God. Animals mm -hmm. survive, people flourish. And I think it raises them. When we think about neediness, to your point, we are raising the level of expectancy, not because we're, you know, new agey trying to self-actualize our potential, but more because we're trying to live into our design. No, this is about surrender. This is about admission, admit, admitting. It's not about power. It's about becoming right. fully empowered. Right. We have to admit we admit that we're powerless over how we are created. Right. I mean, so we're 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 made a certain way. Therefore, we ha and and we're made to seek fulfillment, and it can only occur in a certain way. Right. And even you know, back to the last episode, I was talking about how I just finished reading the Pentateuch, and one of the most striking realities in there is how God cares about so much more than just sort of like these hierarchy of needs in the wilderness. 
right? Mm -hmm. Like for us, we tend to think in terms of efficiency and like, okay, what's the strategy to get as much security and food and provision to survive? And he's giving like multi-chapter instructions about like the color of the garments that a priest is supposed to wear mm -hmm. so that they can wrap their mind around the robustness of intimacy and relationship with him. I and mean, I plenty. Think, right. And plenty. And celebration yeah. and stopping work uh -huh. and festivals and feasts. Uh -huh. And you're just like, you know, in our cultural moment, we would be like, this is the least strategic, dumbest thing to do for people in the wilderness. Uh-huh. And it's exactly what God designed. Isn't that something? So manna was just a given. Right. But only given enough for the day. And like, trust me, trust me, right. trust me. I mean, trust me, I've got better than manna. Right. That's 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 important. Yeah, not really. I mean, that that's was, scary, though. It is scary. I mean, in a, in a life that we're always wondering, do we have enough provision? Right. And I mean, I think it's a, it's an affirmation of the reality of like how many uh, people do you know and do I know mm -hmm. who have no needs in terms of that hierarchy of needs, and uh, and by that I just mean like they have more money than they know what to do with, mm -hmm. and they are not okay. Right. It's the it's the opposite. Oh yeah, man. So so many years, I, I've, I've and and people would scoff at me in some ways, and I I get that the analogy is not a perfect thing. But I've often said that rich people, whoever they are, have it uh, worse than poor people. Mm. And people look at me like, are you crazy? Right. And we'll see. And I say a poor person still lives with the fantasy that a lottery ticket will solve all their problems if they mm. score. And a wealthy person knows no matter where they go, they can't find that thing they're looking yeah. for. They can't get away from themselves. They can't yeah. pave to get away from themselves. Right. And the addiction rate in the wealthy is just as high, yeah. if not higher than in the what we think of as the impoverished, because impoverishment is not knowing your heart mm. and not being able to connect yeah. to yourself, others, and God. That's yeah. impoverishment. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I think this was Tim Keller who talked about how the most haunting reality is coming to the place where all your wildest dreams have come true and the same problems are still there. Yep. It's, it's terrifying because yep. where do you go? Yeah. Where do you go from there? Yeah. Midas, uh, everything he touched turned to gold, but he, he, he had a terrible Thanksgiving. <laughs> I mean, he, turkey was gold. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's, right. it just doesn't work out so well. It was right? a very uh, Murfreesboro like yeah. proverb. Yeah. To, there you go. Yeah. 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 I love that. But, but in terms of needs, in terms of just straight up needs, we come out of the womb looking for who's looking for us. We have the, at birth, the roots of how we're made. The roots extend up out of the soil towards the sun, towards the heat, towards the rain that soaks the soil. So take the same analogy as a child. The child cries out, reaches, and craves life to the full. That child's roots come up out of the soil with two primary needs. The need to belong, mm -hmm. which means to be accepted as I am created, okay, mm -hmm. which means I'm created as a feeling, needing, desiring, longing, hoping mm. creature. All this stuff is in the Voice of the Heart book. Very important book. Uh, I, I'm saying, I know I'm the author, but I'm saying yeah. it's a very important book. It's a seminal work that was talking, uh, referring and talking about feelings decades ago now. And it is profound in its expression. And we need to return to it. So the child comes up out of the soil, roots, 
reaching towards that which it's made to have. The need to belong, which is to be accepted as I'm created, and the need to matter, to be valued for what I bring to creation. Mm. In other words, there's someone above the soil, outside of me, who is invested in seeing who I'm created to be so they can help me become that person who has gifts to be shared and also to be accepted for how I'm created. And two, only two things a child needs. It's, I know it's so overly simplified, but I bring a belonging and mattering, the need to be accepted and the need to be valued. And then what i made to receive is affirmation and confirmation. Mm. That's it. I need someone outside of me to say, yes, yes. Yeah. And then confirmations, absolutely, yes, yes. I think let's let's camp out there. Okay. Because I think you were saying something that's been um, very clarifying to me as a parent, especially like my kids' ages as we're recording right now is almost 10, 6, 4, 2. Yeah. And so, and then when Colton's kids there, there's seven of them, and it's like there's a lot of kids. Yeah, it is wonderful. Yeah, that's a great way. To it's describe a festival. It. It, yeah, that's a great way. Oh, to it is. Like great, they, they yeah. throw three of them go over the couch, <laughs> and they're headed upstairs again. You know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think understanding, you know, so like what I'm trying to integrate this into is I am, you know in a phase of life where my kids are perpetually like, do you see this? Do you see this? Do you see this? No, did you see this? Right. Yeah. Like the, the cliche example of all this is like, you take your kids to the pool watch and you me. just watch me. Do you watch see this? Me. Do you see this? Do you see? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I watched you do a cannonball. That's the 72nd yes. cannonball you've done. Oh, and, and by the your, way, there's three more of and you. And even your voice tone goes, yes, I've seen right. it. The yeah, 72nd exactly. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first time you're like, like yeah, I'm great t- job, bud. You were super brave. <laughs> and then the 72nd time I'm like, you're at the pool. Like, just go do your own thing. You know, as I'm, yeah. as I'm processing this and integrating this, you know, for me as an adult, I'm kind of like, why are you needy right now? You're at the pool. Like, we gave you a pool and you've got floaties on. So I know you're safe. Like, can you just go do your own thing? Like me and Megan are trying to talk. We do not get much quality time. This is why we're here. This is where we're we're sort of paying for you to be taken care of and for us. But it's interesting how that need Mm -hmm. for belonging and mattering. I thought, I think it's really helpful for, especially if you're a parent of a young kid is like, that's what's there is the seeking of belonging and mattering. And then, you talk about the affirmation and the confirmation. Yeah. That's what's happening when you're saying back, I saw it. It's good. Great job, bud. Yes. And now, now so a lot of parents are codependent. So, but the first thing is, oh, what does that mean? Well, we'll come to that. Okay. But it, what an, what an affirmation to a parent, to a person, if you wanted the child and the child wants you back. Mm-hmm. So the child is saying, you know what? You're big. I'm little, you're smart, and like, like you turn doorknobs and stuff, and you yeah. cut that vehicle and drive like whoa. And you can pick you like I you can throw me up in the air and I can uh, yes. So like, you're, you're, I can yeah wrap my hand around your yeah, finger yeah. yeah. You're big. I'm little. You're smart. I'm not that smart, and you're like right, and so I need you, and I can't get enough of you. Mm-hmm. Like you're the source of life. I mean, you know, yeah. God's invisible mm. and you're visible. Yeah. Uh, so there's a dependency there. That's astounding. Yeah. Hallelujah. Uh Oh, there's a dependency there 
That's astounding. astounding. Uh oh. Yeah. So we have to be good also as parents of letting them have the pain of I don't have any more to give right now. Yeah. Which means, yeah, but you've got to have more to give. And if you don't, I'm going to have feelings and therefore you're going to have a problem, parent. Okay. <laughs> right. So yeah. it, the parent has to develop the capacity to allow their children to have feelings. In other words, welcome to life. It's a feeling place. And God has given us the gift of feelings. Right. They're not curses. They're tools. Yeah. A child like resilience, a child's feelings are their teachers um, to allow them to be able to grow. Right. And if we help them and allow them to have feelings and help them with the feelings and also tell them we've got them too. Mommy needs time. Daddy needs time. Hey, mommy and I are talking to each other right now. You can go play, I'll, but sure, they need to be fed first. I get that. Right. But you need to be fed first too, other ways. Right. And to be explicit, so, you know, I think the dark side this can go is, oh, you know, they're trying to belong and matter and belong and matter and belong and matter. And so over um, I have and to meet every again. single need yes. that is, you know, in the, in the dark place, your mind can go as a parent, especially if you have young kids is you can catastrophize the future oh, of right. being like, oh gosh, you know, I'm going to, they asked me to see uh, 72 cannonballs and on the 72nd, I snapped back. Yes. And their only memory of the pool is going to be that like, dad didn't see me and care. And then, you know, all of a sudden yes. that'll lead to this and lead to this and lead to this. What, what we're not talking about is the, you know, uh, as a parent, you have no needs and all you do is say yes, 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 because yes, that'll make the kids sick as well. Oh, and instead, you're, worst th worst thing you can do. You're embracing the struggle of, hey, I want you to see that you belong and matter. Yep. Uh, but I have limitations and needs as well, yep. and I, we're going to do that dance together. Yes. Uh, so that you're raised in a healthy environment. Yes. In other words, you're teaching your child that you're a human being like them, and they can follow you being human. Hmm. And that's huge. Uh, the yes, yes, yes parent you referred to a minute ago, that parent is a very dangerous person because that parent will do anything to keep their child from feeling. And is that where you're talking about the codependent parent? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the codependent parent who's the child's feelings equal my worth, my self-blame. Uh, uh, and then there's another flip side of codependency. Uh, that kind of codependency is, hey, kid, get tough. Life's not fair. I don't feel and you don't either. Right. So if a parent can't tolerate their own feelings and learn the skills of what to do with them, the child will be unnecessarily harmed. I say right. unnecessarily harmed meaningfully because you and I are going to harm our children. Right. Okay. For sure. Yeah. That's where we also need the humility of being able to say, I'm actually sorry. Yeah. Will you forgive me? For something I did. Yeah. But when we start using the child to get, was absolution? Mm. Like if the child has feelings, I'm guilty. No. Right. If the child has feelings, they're human. Right. And so therefore, we've got to be good at the wisdom of this is human. Right. And that's wrong. Right. I can seek forgiveness for something that I did wrong, but I can't seek forgiveness for being human. Right. Believe it or not, if we're good at being human, they we will be showing them through neediness the way to God. Mm. Yeah. That's actually one of the things when I would, when I would, uh, preach on this reality, I was, I would always, I, th I think you would agree with this, but correct me if you're wrong. One of the lines, correct I would me always, if you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Yeah. 
But one of the lines I would use is the parent's job is twofold and there's immediate tension because of it. You are supposed to reflect God and also reflect that you're not God. Oh yeah. Right. Like in yes. some ways you are showing, and this is biblical, right? Yes. This is, this is who God is like this, you know, for mm-hmm. me as a dad, this is the kind of father mm-hmm. that God is. But then you have to sort of curb that of being like, mm-hmm. oh, and by the way, I'm going to fail you and disappoint you. Yeah. You know, I, oh, excuse me. Well, I was just going to say, I, to your point, just to make this super practical, I was part of a, a, a pastor cohort a few years ago, um, and I was the youngest one in there. Most of the men, I was in like my early 30s at the time, and most of the men were mid to late 40s. So they were all in a stage of life where their kids were pretty much adults and going off to college and you know, they were, you, you could really experience it. Like they were wrestling with what sort of parent was I, and you know, yeah. did I do a good job and like really godly men who really cared. But it always struck me that one of the pastors in there, uh, his, his oldest kids were just getting ready to go off to college. And he said, he went to them. I'm saying them because they were twins. Uh, he, he, he went to them and basically said, Hey, I want you to know that I've probably hurt you in ways that I do understand and I've hurt you ways I don't understand. Right. And if you ever want to talk to me about it, I'm here to listen and apologize. And if you ever need to see somebody and talk about me and to process that, I want you to know Beautiful. I'm not mad at you at that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm stealing that. We'll use that again. Like that's, that's somebody tolerating the neediness, yes. not only tolerating, but celebrating yep. and leading them of like, yep. I reflected some parts of who God is, but I'm not God. That is beautiful. And if, if it's okay, I would love to add one thing sure. to that, that that person had great courage to do that and expressed great humility. And um, it's going to be pretty rare that that offer will be accepted hmm. because to um, turn around and accept the offer and bring that material to that parent is, an, is a tremendous burden. The parent, I would add on, needs to be able to name, you know, the things I have done. Mm. That 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 parent is self-examining enough that they can look back in their own history of regret and say, ooh, I wish I hadn't, I wish I hadn't. And that parent needs to go to that son, it was a son, right? Mm-hmm. And say, hey, I need you to know through self-examination, these are some things I know I did mm-hmm. that I regret, mm-hmm. I wish I hadn't. And let that sorrow be pronounced Mm. so that the son can see. Because many uh, children are actually carry uh, admiration for the parents or protection towards the parents that the parents have to shatter for Mm. the child. Mm. Okay, you follow what I'm saying? So I would love to add that one thing on to that parent going and saying, Telling, telling their story more like and that's going to, believe it or not, uh, offer a great gift to that child. If the child's 40 or 50, yeah, it will be, oh, so gosh, I've, in fact, um, let me tell this story. Yeah, go for it. I, I, years and years and years ago, I treated uh, one of the most wonderful men. Uh, he was 74 years old when he came into treatment, an alcoholic, a world-renowned a physician who had taught a, a very specific uh, rec- uh, skill all around the world, Russia, Korea, uh, in the world of burns. He was a plastic surgeon. And he, uh, I, I, I asked him, I said, look, I want you to uh, write a letter to your son. So, they, so, so And his son was 54 years old. 
uh, I said, I want you to write a letter. I said, what's his name? And I won't use anybody's actual name. So I, he said, his name's Tim. I said, what'd you call him when he was little? He said, I called him uh, Timothy. All right. And I said, the, the doctor's name. I said, so you're going to write him a letter. And I said, here's how we're going to start. Dear Timothy. And he looked at me and went, dear Timothy. Like when it got talked, his voice was so deep. You couldn't, Johnny Cash couldn't pull it off, right? <laughs> you're a Johnny Cash guy. Yeah. And so he said, dear Timothy. And then, then I, I said, okay. So he was like speechless. He didn't know how to do it. So I said, all right, here's the first line. And I wrote down, dear Timothy, every time I think about your name, I want to tell you. And he said, dear Timothy, every time I think about your name, I want to tell you. And I didn't finish it for him. And he got stuck. Mm -hmm. And he started breathing uh, deeply. And then his face turned down. And he said, I want to tell you. And then his voice began to rattle. Uh, and he said, I want to tell you. Oh, and he began to groan. And he groaned two or three times. And he said, and then it broken, it came out broken because he was full of tears. He said, I want to tell you that I love you. And he just barely could get the words out. And I said, so there's your letter. And that's what you're going to tell him. And I'm going to bring him in. And he said, no, I won't. I won't do it. I said, what do you mean you won't do it? He said, he'll think I'm weak. He'll think I'm weak. Turns out that this man had never heard the words spoken to him mm. by anyone who mattered to him mm. as a child. So anyway, his son comes in, 54 years old, also a physician. And, and so <clears throat> this man reads the letter to his son. And the son sits there like a statue. Mm. We're at stalemate. And the doctor, the old doctor, the 74-year-old doctor, reads the letter and just sits there crying just kind of groaning then silently crying. And the son turns out and looks out the window. And when he looked out the window, I went, okay, he's looking for someplace away from here, which means he's having feelings. He doesn't want to feel this man's not a statue. This is a man, a person. And he turned back. I said, what do you have to say, Timothy, Tim? And he looked at his father and said, you're too late. And then he started pounding his thighs with both fists. You're too late. And it got really loud. And he said, kind of screamed, low muffled scream. Why do you think I became a doctor? And then he said, how long do you think I've waited to hear those words? Mm -hmm. And then he started weeping. So the father's weeping, the son's weeping. And I kind of glanced over at the old doctor who kind of like was like, what do I do? That expression of what do I do? I just nodded because his hands were up in the air a little bit. I just nodded. He knew he shakily reached out both of his hands towards his son and his son fell into his arms. Mm. Now that is it. The father made confession of being human and named uh, that which his son needed to hear. And his son had built a whole wall of pride, defiance, and at the same time, protecting his father mm. from the needing to hear those words and, and, and protecting his father from ever saying them. And he had developed all this defiance around his heart. He, mm. he built a wall around his heart. 
that uh, a, a, a shattering door, a shattered door uh, let him out and, and, and let uh, the old doctor in. Mm. And so uh, our need to tell the truth about ourselves is one of the great um, emblems mm. that can be followed, like a, a, a shield of honor. And I think it speaks to the reality of like, we never age out of the desperate desire to, no. to belong and matter. No, exactly. Right. Uh, to, to be connected to those we come out of the womb looking for. As you know, even adopted children uh, still wonder. Oh, of course. Yeah, and they have a question. Right. W- 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 how come? Right. What made you? Yeah, like every adoption begins in tragedy, and uh-huh. there's always the question of, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. I'm, <clears throat> did I do I, something? Did I do something? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to, uh, well, the reason I'm hesitating is like, I don't want, I always think about my own kids, if they ever listen to my stuff. I'm not, you know, so if Hannah's 30 and listening to this, uh, one, I love you. And two, uh, of course, I'm not talking specifically about her, but I'm just saying, in the adoptive community, there's always the lingering desire yes. for the child to say, "What happened? Was I not wanted? What did I do yes. wrong? What you know?" That, even that's... if the even if the tremendous adoption is a, just a, a life of celebration, right? Exactly. If they land in the perfect home situation, yeah. it's still. Do you remember that last podcast we did? Um, excuse me. Yeah. <clears throat> the, do you remember the last podcast we did? We both talked about the fear of actually rendering ourselves vulnerable enough to say, Hey, do you, is it okay that I'm over here? I mean, <laughs> I'm not that guy, I'm not that, right? I'm not that guy. You're not yeah. looking at me going like, my goodness, when's this going to end? Right. Okay. That I can trust you to tell me the truth. And so we all need to be able to ask those questions. And if you do come from a place in which the questions were shut down, we may need to ask them more than some other people. Mm. I, what is, what is that? That's, what are, look, I've never I, heard you say that before. Well, what's yeah, that mean? I, I never have said it. Okay, that's, why, <laughs> that's why we're doing this. I think that's really profound. Cause I read, I, okay. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, look, uh, there are times where I'll need to ask Sonia, uh, Hey, Sonia, uh, like you still love me. Right. Right. And it, like, she looks at me, and she said, Chip, that's an insult. I'm like, no, it's actually a question. Right. Uh, and that I need to, an answer. And she will see it as somehow, I'm saying she failed me. I'm seeing it as simply a need that uh, I just need to be reconfirmed. Right. Remember affirmation, confirmation, right. belonging and mattering? Right. Because there is a part inside me that has to ask those questions because rejection doesn't surprise me. Mm. Acceptance does. Mm. And what is that about? Right. Well, that's a wound. Yeah. You know? It reminds me of a counselor I talked to, and she was talking about, um, which is ironic, because I feel like a lot of people in the counseling community, you know, we've talked about this, a lot of times they're getting into it to fix their own yeah. problems. And, yeah. But she was talking about the health of her relationship with her dad. And she was saying how, you know, she'll work with people and she can see that there's just sort of this hole inside of them, Mm -hmm. you know, because they grew up in an environment where love was unpredictable. It was unstable. uh, There wasn't a lot of affirmation and confirmation. And it's like they can never, they're always kind of spinning. That was the language she used, you know, the sort of that spinning. And then you're trying to find something. And she was like, she was like, what I'm really grateful for is like, that's not the way I experience life. And I thought that was really interesting because she came from this, 
stable. Dad's love is stable. He's not perfect, but he owns his imperfections. And she's like, it is interesting the disparity of experience that leads to, you know, there's there's some people who enter a room and they're not, they're, you know, to a different degree, they're probably asking, am I wanted here? Do I belong? You know, they're not narcissistic, but there are some people who I guess you would say due to their upbringing and maybe the predictability of, or the unpredictability of love enter into rooms and relationships and marriages and families and, you know, workplaces who are just perpetually wondering, am I that guy? Am I that guy? Mm -hmm. Am I that guy? And so they have to learn Mm -hmm. to. Well, you know, honestly, my, my, (laughs) my, my recovery is from being pretty certain I'm that guy and covering it up with false bravado, codependency, people pleasing, caretakers. But here's, here's the thing. Because you didn't want to ask the question. No, but many therapists uh, and many leaders in helping professions, they, they are wounded creatures who aren't healed or aren't in the healing. Yeah. Um, the wounding is not what qualifies a person. It's whether or not they have scars that tell stories and that can be told, mm. or do they still have bleeds that they're not addressing yeah. and aren't being dealt with. Yeah. Because the, the, to me, the greatest helping professionals are the people who have experienced wounds and have scars that can tell stories versus never having had wounds, which means they're in serious denial. Yeah. Or they have wounds and they're always trying to get them healed through the their performances yeah. and helping. Those, are, those people are going to burn out and they're, they're gonna... actually using their quote, they're using their right. audience, which is... Uh, Right. That's a, a symbiotic relationship, the host and parasite. Oof. And yes, and that, yeah. uh, and that's happening a lot, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we will address that when we move to leadership. Yeah. I was, I was podcast. It's funny. You said that I was, I was talking to a friend of mine, um, who, who was about to move to town and we were, I was, I was kind of giving him my perception of some of the Nashville counseling landscape. And I was like, my, uh, you know, uneducated observation is there's a lot of people who are trying to heal through the helping of others. Yep. And there's uh, a beautiful remnant of others who don't seem as many um, who have found healing mm-hmm. in Christ and are giving away what they receive from him. Yep. Um, but yeah, trying to heal through the helping or leadership of others is always a recipe for absolute disaster. Yeah. You know, I, I, I did my doctorate, uh, it, it, it well, let's <clears throat> say, even when I decided I would go to get my degree in counseling, I went in my own denial mm-hmm. and uh, really kind of a messed up grandiosity. I'm going to go learn how to fix people, yeah. and then all of a sudden I landed there, and by hook and crook and God's providence, I wound up slamming into a wall, going, "Whoa." I'm in trouble. Mm. I need to be healed. I need yeah. to be fixed. And um, actually, the very place I went to become strong actually slammed me into mm-hmm. a wall, and I went and got help. And that's when I learned outside of school, outside of academia, uh, the whole recovery world, and that's when I found out there is a difference between a feeling and a floor. Mm-hmm. And that was in 1988. Mm. Um and so 89, I got hope back uh, by uh, just sh- sh- through relationship, rediscovered the God I'd already known and sort of tried to 
rid myself of because it didn't seem to work and got hope back in 89 by 91 through recovery. I'd written the spiritual root system on a napkin that we talked about. And then basically everything else is the history of allowing the scars uh, to become stories of healing. Mm -hmm. But see, I can identify <clears throat> with almost everything mm. because uh, my expertise is in being human. Yeah. I'm, I'm good at being human. Like I face, I am human. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it makes me think of Nowen's category of the leader that he calls the wounded healer. Yeah. And in there he uses, uh, I wish I won't take the time to look it up, but the quote goes something along the lines of the great illusion of leadership is that a man can be led out of the desert by somebody who has not been in the desert himself. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of, I agree with that. Mean. And so, you know, even as we wrap up here yeah. today in belonging and mattering, we're still connected to our neediness, the need to belong and the need to matter is more powerful than the will to stop it. Mm. And I want us to hear that as you compared, you know, animals, survival, and humans being different, human beings are the only creatures that carry DNA, which is animation. Everything that has DNA seeks life fulfillment. Slugs seek, like from the book, geranium yeah. leaves. Yeah. Scorpions seek to, to survive and sting and protect themselves. But human beings are the only creatures that are capable of using their faces to hide their hearts. Mm. We're the only creatures that can actually be incongruent. Mm. An animal can't stop being itself. Yeah, incredible. you can look at a dog and be like, that dog is happy or not. Exactly. Right. And we can separate from ourselves. Uh, and I know uh, all you animal lovers, animals can get depressed and so on, but it's because they're separated from connection yeah but they're still expressing what's going on inside of them right and so the need to belong and the need to matter you're powerless over it the only choice you have is if you're going to get it met in legitimate ways mm. or illegitimate ways and if you are raised in a world that supports and affirms confirms and affirms your neediness as acceptable mm. then the likelihood that you will get your need to belong and the need to matter met in legitimate ways is highly probable. Mm. But it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. You need to belong and matter. And going back to these helping professions, in so many ways, leaders in helping professions, their need to belong and need to matter is there, but they get that need met through performance, yeah. through caretaking, people-pleasing, approval-seeking, and achievement and an achievement orientation. And it always leads to some form of addiction, hmm. which is getting your needs met in illegitimate ways, legitimate needs being met in illegitimate ways. Hmm. So guys, let's, let's, let's face, I need to belong and I need to matter. And there is a way that it gets met legitimately. And that's going to be through vulnerability hmm. and through healing and through doing something very uh, scary feeling your feelings, telling the truth about them, letting yourself have needs and actually wisely, hopefully deciding who you can let know because yeah. that's where connection occurs. Let's land the plane there. I, <laughs> yeah. I think we do another, I think we keep going about belonging and mattering because it's Yeah, let's so look at belonging and mattering from the standpoint of all the different ways that we yeah. go about I, I getting think, it. I think what you said at the yeah. very end there is where I think we go next in terms of um, and this is my mental note to make sure there's congruency in what we're 
having a conversation about of, I think there's a lot there in terms of what does it look like to get the need to belong and matter met yes. in legitimate versus illegitimate yes. ways. So that's where we'll go yeah. in the next episode. And please, uh, uh, please read the voice of the heart. Please read the uh, needs of the heart. Also there's keeping heart, which is a series of meditations on living fully. Uh, the perfect loss on the Beatitudes. There's hope in the age of addiction, parenting with heart. And then my favorite, Anthem to the Invisible, the novel. <laughs> we're going to have to do a, a series, of, a series, of, uh, series of episodes. Just but, on Anthem Brian, to thank the you for doing this. Yeah. I really enjoy being with you. Thank you. You feel it. There's no give up, give up, give up, give up in us. Give up, give up, give up in us